This episode has been sponsored by the award-winning management consulting firm Q5. Q5 is all about good organisational health. Q5 work with their clients to ensure they optimise their organisational strategy, their structure and their culture so that they can achieve all their goals. From strategic conundrums to operational gripes, Q5 combine the art and science of organisational health to address challenges. And Q5 work with a range of organisations, those at the top of their game and those who are in turnaround mode. If you want to know more about how Q5 can help your organisation improve and excel, please visit www.q5partners.com. Hello and welcome to Media Confidential, Prospect Magazine's weekly exploration of the media world. And in this case, a look back at the year in this fascinating and contested industry. I'm Alan Rusbridger. And I'm Lionel Barber. On this episode, recorded just before Christmas, Sky News' political editor, Beth Rigby, helps us reflect on some of 2023's key stories and media figures. Listen and follow us wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. And Media Confidential is on X stroke Twitter. We are at Media Conf Pod. Beth, welcome to uh, Media Towers. I believe you've had the pleasure of knowing and even working with, or perhaps even oh, for, Lionel. I, I worked for Lionel for 15 years, Lionel. My God, He's my and, editor. And lived to tell Taught the tale. me everything I know. Tell, well, uh, oh, no, not sure about that, Beth. Have you got yeah. any, any... All right, you can disavow the bad bits. All the good <laughs> stuff, I learned everything I knew On from a Lionel. range of <laughs> one pussycat to ten brutal, oh. brutal dictator. What, what was he as an editor? <laughs> Think give, hard, give, give us Beth. a score. Lionel was a formidable and to... sometimes terrifying editor. But the thing that was quite annoying about Lionel was he was always right, <laughs> well, even when I didn't want him to be. No, he was a brilliant editor. I'm calling that. And a... actually, you, um, yeah, the FT was actually thrived under I'm, Lionel, but I'm, he was quite a scary editor. I'm calling that an eight. An eight. Ten is yeah. brutal. One is pussycat. Do I get a say in here? I don't think you'd want to be a pussycat, though, would you? No way. I give myself an eight and a nine, but I was an enlightened enlightened despot. That's what I used to call it. Victor (laughs) Auburn of editors. (laughs) What I liked about you, Lionel, as well, and your editor, was the FT... The editorship is a it's a networking job as well, right? Because you have to represent a global business brand. But you loved the story. You were always close to the story. Well, thank you. That's what we're going to do just now when we're talking about some of the biggest stories in the year. Yeah, I think we've had enough soft soaping line for one episode. So I would duff him up in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, there's a new seasonal subscription offer from Prospect Magazine. We're discounting the price of an annual digital subscription by an amazing 50%. To take advantage of this one-off deal, please search for Prospect New Year Offer or visit subscribe.prospectmagazine, all one word, .co.uk slash ny. And the offer ends Friday the 19th of January. So what we're going to do today in this review of the year is hand out the coveted Media Confidential Annual Prizes. This is, I say they're coveted. Um, This is the first year we've ever done it, but they will be coveted in years to come. And um, people will look back on 2023 as a vintage year. What do you get, Alan, if you get a prize? Do you send something out? I think they just have to live with the the fame and the glory. Or the infamy. 
Well, we, we, well, there will be one or two infamous people, spoiler alert. So are we ready, Lionel? Indeed we are. Fire that starting gun. OK, so we're going to start with the most... We've got eight categories chosen to help uh, reflect on this year in media, and we're going to start with uh, nominations for the most important story well, of the year and who's covered I, it well. I, For my most important stories of the year, I've got, obviously, the conflicts in Israel. I've also got AI because I think it's been something that in the political world at least hasn't been covered much, but is the biggest story of our time. And I think we're almost sleepwalking in something that we don't particularly understand and it's going to change all our lives. And then the other sort of stories I picked up on actually were in terms of media stories, but sort of as a shout out to some of the the women out there that do underreported work was for me one of the big stories of the year was the... Um, the allegations against Russell Brand that took years was a collaboration between Channel 4 uh, and the Times and Sunday Times and, and took years to, to come out. So that they would be my stories of the year, Alan, I think. And have you got any particular nominations for the, the correspondents who have been doing this amazing work? For the Russell Brand stuff, it was it was Rosamund Irwin at the, uh, the Sunday Times with their brilliance investigations editor, Paul Morgan Bentley, who did all of the, the Russell Brand uh, stories. So, yeah, they would be... And that was an unusual collaboration with Channel, with Channel 4. Channel 4, wasn't it? It was, it was an increasing pattern in, in media. I, I think that was an important story and, and took months, if not years, years. to get, didn't it? It took yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Lionel, your, your important story of the year. I'm going to second... Beth on the AI story. It's the story which went mainstream. And you know, some people like Masayoshi Son, the Japanese multi-billionaire head of SoftBank, called it, likened it to the Cambrian explosion, the origin of the species some 500 million years ago. That's maybe a little bit of exaggeration, but it's big. But for me, the story of the year is the Middle East. Mm. I think it's a story which really exposed three very simple misunderstandings and miscomprehensions of what was going on. One, that somehow the Palestinian problem could be managed mm. and that the Israel was reaching a definitive peace agreement with not just the Gulf states but Saudi Arabia. Two, that somehow Hamas could be bought off. We now know that the Israelis were arranging for the Qataris to send millions to Hamas in the West Bank, sort of buy them off. And three, that somehow the Americans could just focus on China and ignore the Middle East. All those wrongs, apart from, by the way, Israel, superior intelligence to everyone else. So that's the most important story of the year for me by far. And I would single out the British newspapers and news organizations have done a good job, but I would single out the New York Times particularly for its courage. And so I would also single Haaretz the Israeli newspaper, Esther Solomon, the senior editor of the English language edition, has been on talking about their coverage, but I think it's been outstanding. I agree. I mean, um, on the both Ukraine and, and Gaza have been compelling stories. Uh, the, the, the Mary Colvin Award this year is named after Mary Colvin, the, the, the Sunday Times correspondent who was tragically killed covering in the course of her work, went to Belle True of The Independent and I must admit, I, I had to look her up. And she's one of these very modern journalists who works in words, pictures, and video. Mm -hmm. And she's made documentaries. Uh, and she's the independence correspondent in the Middle East. But she's also covered Ukraine. So if you wanted somebody who's across all those stories. But um, 
I, I think those those two stories force themselves to the to the top of the uh, agenda. Beth, what about the most underreported well, story? Yeah, for me, I'm going to you know as maybe you'd expect, but also this thoroughly deserved story in journalist. I would say for me, it's it's Stuart Ramsey and the work he did on on Myanmar, where he went in for thirty days undercover witnessing what was happening there in a, a country that is sealed off that's very hard to get in he went and spent 30 days in the jungle uh with rebel fighters uh with his crew uh, and telling those stories from behind you know it's not that dissimilar actually to cut what's happening in gaza now where where many news organizations cannot get in and then it's only because you have people that are in there or willing to go in there to, to report those stories around the world so for me that I think was an underreported story of the year but was really important and important that Stuart did it uh, it probably should receive more coverage interestingly Stuart said about it afterwards that it was kind of the most say, unsafe he'd felt and this is a guy that's been to all sorts of war zones but I guess in sometimes in in a war zone you have a sense that there is a a line that you're protected by. But when you go in undercover like that and you're with rebel forces, you don't know when you're going to be attacked. So that that would be a story that part of the world in a civil war that's completely hidden from view. My pick for underreported story of the year is the rise of Saudi Arabian soft power. It is quite extraordinary how the Saudis have, (laughs) one, bagged the World Cup for 2032 two got the pga the most powerful golf association it's Mm. that's golf in america they've got them on board for a merger in fact they've taken over tennis they've bought into football teams we know newcastle united it parallels what is also going on in saudi arabia which is hundreds of billions of dollars to create a new saudi arabia around sport uh leisure the new city in the desert, modernization, kind of creating a new image of Saudi Arabia. Also, by the way, I should have talked about investments in media, also in Hollywood. This is an underreported story about where that money is going. And it's a different story from the one, of course, that the media always focus on, rightly, that Jamil Khashoggi, the journalist, dissident, activist, whatever you want to call him, he was assassinated, dismembered, and almost certainly at the behest of the crown prince. But I would suggest six years on, there is a new story there uh, about Saudi Arabia, which the media needs to focus on. But, but is that about necessity as well, Lionel? Well, in terms of access, do you mean for it's difficult well, it's for necessity. the journalists to get there? Well, no, I mean, in terms of the, the soft power, is that from necessity of the change in dynamic in the Middle East? And, the, and if you're an allied power, what options do you have? I think this is a bit more than bread and circuses, Beth. Uh, we know that the personal rule of the crown prince cannot be challenged. But I also see the crown prince as a force for modernization. He's taken on the religious police the fanatics, the Wahhabis, the people responsible for 9-11. There is a modernization story in Saudi Arabia. They're a big player now internationally, and that soft rise of the soft power is a parallel to that. Well, um, after those, I'm going to choose a very trivial story on the face of it, which is the Gibgate. <laughs> I thought you might be coming well, around quite, to that. I, I, I Scans, thought this was going to come scand- up. Scandalously um, undercovered. So this is the attempt by a BBC director to fix the chair of Ofcom, which I think is 
on any accounts of scandal. And um, no one's covered it, apart from me. Um, and, and it was one of those stories that I think will break into the open next year, not least because it all came out in the, um, the quizzing of the, the BBC chair-elect, Samia Shah. And it's one of those stories that <laughs> nobody can understand because nobody, nobody's covered it, but it could yet become a factor. But I admit it doesn't compete with Myanmar or Saudi Arabia for sheer importance. Can we go seamlessly to Turkey of the Year? Alan, I think this is the category that you have sought out, specialised in. It's a particular honour. Do you want to go? Uh, I, I, I would. It's a double turkey. The double turkey of the year goes to the two presenters, Dan Wooten and Lawrence Fox, uh, who are or were GB News's in-house culture warriors and conspiracy theorists. And um, both of them got the heave-ho this year. Uh, it was long overdue. They were everything that's unadmirable about the media. Um, and uh, it was good to see them go. I mm. They're not dear friends of yours, Beth. They're not dear friends of mine. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the issue there as well was it was the sort of misogynistic comments against oh, horrible. A, 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 horrible. A, a, horrible. a woman that yeah. in the end, you know, it was, it was beyond the pale and they're, they're off air. Do you have a, a turkey ready for the plucking? Yes, my turkey of the year is Captain Tom Moore's family. Oh. Because obviously that was the story of feel-good PR you know, the late Tom Moore raised, and I think it was nearly £40 million for the NHS during the pandemic. You remember him. We, Just by we walking around his garden. Walking yeah. around his garden with his frame and his, his medals. And then the family basically creamed off some of the money from his books. Uh, there was a swimming pool, there was a spa involved, and, and what was a, a great story about a national treasure turned into a story of scandal. So they are my turkey of the year. Very good nomination, Lyle. Well, I'm going to have to tread rather carefully here because I'm also venturing into the television world again. And my Turkey of the Year is just, it's more a story than the person. And it's the prolonged, agonising departure of Philip Schofield as the co-host on ITV. And I, what just astonished me was the level of coverage uh, are they a male mm. online? I mean, it was the lead story for days. Even the BBC started picking this up. I mean, all fair to Schofield. I mean, he was quite successful and everything. But do we really need to have him leading the news day in, day out? Um, we know that there were some questionable relationships between him and a younger man. But really? So, um, so Lila, this is interesting because obviously when at the FT, we never really dealt with these sorts of stories. We didn't really cover these sorts of stories, not. did we? But Alan, at The Guardian, you would have. Do you, do you think it was overdone, the coverage? Yeah, it was completely. I mean, and, but why do you think there was an appetite? Do you think it was media newsrooms had the appetite or the audience had the appetite? Well, I, so, I don't know the answer. I'm generally interested. Well, certainly when, when I was at The Guardian, there was still a media section. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, we used to feature in it sometimes, <laughs> much to my displeasure, but I never rang you about it. Um, and so we felt, like, you know, an obligation to cover the media. I mean, it, it's, I don't know how many millions of people watch this morning, but, you know, he's he's a well-known and, and I was going to say significant, but he's not significant, really. Uh, so I, I think The Guardian would have covered it a bit, but... but it was the coverage was completely over the top, as as by the way I thought it was for for Hugh Edwards uh, and the subsequent 
drama over his departure or departure on leave. But do you, do you think it's a feature of media organisations in the end are interested about reporting other media organisations? you think it's an element of that, that we forget the audience? Uh, I mean, we're talking a podcast called Media Confidential, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the premise of our podcast is that we we believe that media yeah, is, is a significant force in society and needs to be examined. But I, I think I think you're right that, that too much of the sort of surface flotsam gets covered, and actually the the, the real power goes comparatively unexamined. Yeah, um, political scoop of the year. I'm going to have in due deference to mm. ask Beth to start off on that one. Yeah. So I she found this quite hard to answer because. In the past couple of years, there's been such obvious stories around Partygate. But the ones I went for, uh, if I can find them, I can't find them in my... I did loads of prep for this, by the way, audience, because Lionel's my former editor, so I've got notes like I'm <laughs> and, doing and an exam. And we've established she's a bastard. So. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of quite... I feel like I'm doing my A-levels. The ones I actually picked up on are... So with political scoops... You know, what I picked up on is like, well, what actually had a consequential impact on the government? So the couple I picked up on was Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs, which actually began the year before. But he finally, having batted off the journalistic endeavours of people, he finally came a cropper on it and, and was forced to resign. And then obviously the second one on all of that was um, the Dominic Raab bullying allegations, which again... Uh, rumbled on for months and he was eventually forced to resign. And and the reason I use those two is because often in politics, stories are placed, as we all know, for, for various reasons of players in, in the theatre of Westminster. But but with both these stories, it, it's journalistic endeavour of doggedly pursuing something. And then there's a consequence and there's a consequence for cabinet and a prime minister but also it speaks to this idea of Rishi Sunak trying to reset his government back in October 2022 as one of accountability, professionalism and integrity. They're the three words he used on the steps of Downing Street. And then you find cabinet ministers he appointed, embroiled in scandals, it'd be it bullying allegations around his deputy prime minister or, or tax allegations around Nadim Zahawi that brings down individual ministers but speaks to a culture in government that the voter might conclude the prime minister hasn't cleaned up and I think if you look at the polling from when uh, Rishi Sunak became prime minister to now uh, in terms of the voters eyes there has been no improvement be that around policy or perhaps politics so that for me I'm wrecking my memory Beth but the Zahawi story was that not broken by this guy Dan Needle it was Dan Needle and it was also Anna Isaac um, on the Guardian, yes, yeah, because Needle's one of these interesting characters, yeah. a bit like Bellingcat, who's sort of just—he just persisted. He's a tax expert F, yeah. who's become, as it were, a journalist, yeah. and, he, and he's um, in the face of quite substantial legal yeah, threats. And he just—and he just, he's a tax expert, isn't yeah. he? And he just yeah. pursued it. Um, and also, I mean, Anna, Anna, I think also did the the CBI. Um, she did, yeah. So she's uh, she, maybe she should be my journalist of the year. Uh, we're talking about the CBI story where yeah. you know women were assaulted that at was the conference. Her, yeah, yeah, that was that the, was she broke that story as well. So that they would be my yeah, I think they would be my two my two stories of the year in terms of scoops that have a you know because what we're looking for with scoops we're looking for a real world consequence of what we're discovering, right? I'm tempted to go with Gabriel Progren for his scoop on yes. Richard Sharp yeah. just before he was yeah. going to become chairman of the BBC, arranging mm. 
for a loan via a friend to Boris Johnson to help him out with his financial mm. difficulties. Great story. Because he just won Journalist of the Year, and he is yeah. superb, and that was... Yeah. That was, again, a superb story, which had consequences for Johnson and ultimately, you know, for the BBC as well. I'm I'm going to go with James Ferguson, the Mail on Sunday in Scotland, Sunday Mail. And I think his reporting on Nicola Sturgeon's government and the connection with her husband, who is, as we know, chair of the SNP, really fearless. It's tough being a journalist up Mm. north of the border. Uh, the SNP having been in power so long. And James Ferguson has just did some fearless stuff, exposing the hypocrisies, the lies, and the money, the money. He followed the money trail. So great job, James. And, and also real-life consequence, because since she went, that, yeah. she went uh, the SNP is coming down in, in double digits, Labour are now resurgent, and that mm. has a knock-on effect, of course, for a general election, because Labour can't win if they don't go through Scotland. And I think they've got, what, two seats at the moment? That's fundamental. Um, I remember Lionel actually covering the Scottish referendum with you at the FT, and I remember we got a story on the front I remember it was on the front of papers about supermarkets warning they might have to increase prices if there was independence because effectively a a supermarket network across the country, metropolitan areas where it doesn't cost much to move the trucks from warehouses, subsidises the cost of transport in, in places like Scotland where they might have to go. And we put a story on the front and my goodness, what... Do you remember the blowback from it? Absolutely. They went nuts. I got called and told it was being utterly irresponsible. There'd be consequences. And I told them to. I know. Uh, so back that off. was, but that was that. I remember feeling the heat. We knew the story was, we'd, we'd, it was well sourced. But I remember feeling the heat from that. And if I was feeling the heat, you must have been right in the fire, I imagine. Yeah, I told them to get lost. You did that quite a lot on some of my stories, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I'm going to give a passing mention to the Yorkshire Post, who did great work on the Sheffield trees felling scandal. Mm. Um, but, I, but my vote is also for Gabriel Pogrand, who's, who's consistently one of the great story-getters mm. in, in British journalism at the moment. Yeah. This is Media Confidential's review of 2023, and coming up, we'll debate the year's leading news organisation, journalist, villain and hero heroine. On the Prospect podcast this week, the Prospect team discuss what has surprised them in 2023 and their predictions for 2024, as well as celebrating the best of Prospect journalism from the year. I think it's going to be a bad year for UK universities. The higher education sector is really in in a kind of financial crisis at the moment. It's a huge part of the UK economy. It's worth billions of pounds to the UK economy, but many universities have reported deficit at the end of the last financial year. Well, this is a slightly wild prediction. It's a guess, I think, rather than a prediction. But I, I think it's possible that neither Biden nor Trump will end up being candidates at the next American election. I think there'll be maybe a slight cooling of the AI hype. I think that there's only so long that you can have this kind of generational inequality and this sense of a generation that has no prospect of a better future. Follow and subscribe to the Prospect Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Media Confidential's End of the Year Review with me, Alan Rasbridger, and Lionel Barber, and our special guest, 
Sky News's Beth Rigby, and we're now coming on to News Organisation of the Year. My my nomination is the, the same that Lionel mentioned earlier, Haaretz, the the liberal Israeli newspaper, and I mean they've had a, they've had a, a brilliant war, but but I'd like to single them out because actually it's been a pretty lonely path being a liberal news organisation in Israel for the last maybe fifteen years. They've been pretty brave, I think. They've come under intense criticism and attack for holding the liberal faith. They're the one of the few Israeli news organizations that has had correspondents and people and columnists writing from both the West Bank and Gaza. And that's a perspective that not all Israeli media give. And during the current conflict, They've said some uncomfortable things um, for certainly the Israeli government, but also, I I imagine, for their readers. So well done, Haaretz. I'm going to um, highlight regional news. I'm worried about regional news. And I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, we've all been talking about it for years about the importance of local journalism. So for me, I'm going to highlight the Manchester Evening News, their campaign for Arab's Law. Uh, which came in in 2023, and that was about that little boy that was um, who died from exposure to damp. Awab Aishak, I hope I pronounced that correctly. They reported it consistently, persistently, and it ended up in a change to the law and a regulation that requires landlords to guarantee properties are mould free and provide adequate ventilation. Also, my colleague. Dan Hewitt, who's a great journalist at ITV, has been doing a lot of work on this as well. So that's that's, that's, a, that's a great. Yeah, nomination. I just I think yeah. it's you, you know you talk about the Yorkshire Post, the Manchester Evening News. These are really really important publications, especially in a world where for print journalism as well, with newspaper budgets under pressure and they're they're retrenching in the coverage. Sometimes it's really important that those organisations keep going and and are a, a loud voice in in their parts of the country where, you know, as we know how London-centric media is. Alan, I'm going to surprise you, maybe Beth too. My news organisation of the year is The Spectator. And you may say, well, is it news? The answer is, every week I find out things in The Spectator that I wouldn't find elsewhere. Mm. They have a great city column uh, on finance, what's going on there, Martin van der Weyer. Their Scottish coverage has been consistently way ahead of everybody else, pointing to the flaws in the SNP. That's not just because Fraser Nelson is Scottish. Mm. Also, I find the connections between academia, British academia, on the take from Chinese money. Charles Moore, don't agree with a lot of his politics, but he's been fearless in, in writing about that. He's influenced the debate. I think their political coverage is is good. And so sometimes they get a slightly unfair rap. Um, well, unfair rap. I mean, they have controversial, you know, hard hitting columnists like Rod Little. I mean, I don't care for his views either. But it's uh, overall, they give a really uh, very good product. And you know what? They're up for sale. Um, I've heard what their numbers are. They're, they're profitable. They've done a great digital transformation. And just lastly, on the COVID inquiry, I mean, they were questioning the economics of the lockdown way before a lot of other people, they looked at the Swedish model. So overall, Mm. my votes for the spectator. I think that's a a good call because I think 
what I find with the spectators is that what you're talking about is there is often a kind of settled view and then the spectator drops things in and makes you think again about things and they produce things that make me think for sure. And I would have named Prospect obviously but I'm mm. conflicted. Uh, you, you, well, you... I, I'll take that. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 there are one or two voices of the spectator I find difficult to take. But I agree, it's, it's an extremely uh, well-edited and uh, agenda-setting. It's very difficult to be an agenda-setting weekly magazine, well, but it is. One thing I wonder about with the spectator as well is, aside from the sale, but if there is a change of government... That's a big question. Yeah, what happened? Because part of the value of being the publication for the right is that also you get access and insight in a political world where you are coveted if you work there because you are speaking to a certain audience that and i, I it's, it's always interesting to me that when there are huge changes of power if it happens which looks like it's nailed on to happen at the moment at the moment always my three words that do heavy lifting in politics but whether or not um it shifts i mean you did you find that Alan, when you were editing The Guardian, that depending on who was in power made your job easier or harder? Well, the, I mean, the Guardian circulation figures were at their highest under Thatcher because I think uh, it was the voice of opposition. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes it's harder to edit with the grain than against the grain. Um, and certainly Tony Blair was always telling The Guardian that we ought to be more loyal to the Labour Party. And I had to explain that The Guardian wasn't a Labour Party paper. Mm-hmm. If anything, it was a Liberal Party paper, um, in its traditions. So, I mean, it, The Spectator could turn into an interesting oppositional paper, um, which would be a different role from what it's had so far. I have to say, if we had a competitor for podcasts, and I'm not saying we do, I think The Spectator coffeehouse shot they just ask one question around about lunchtime each day uh, and they've got excellent people like Katie Bowles, who's oh. their political editor. Yeah, and superb. it's only about 15 minutes long and it's consistently really, really good. So that's the news organisation of the year. Journalist of the year for me is Lise Doucette. BBC gets a huge rap against it for, you know, biased reporting, not what it was. Here is an old-fashioned foreign correspondent, really versatile, really courageous, reports straight down the line, whether in Ukraine, Afghanistan, and now Israel-Gaza. Fantastic journalist, least to set. I'm going to mention someone I've mentioned before on this podcast, which is this guy in Gaza at the moment, Motaz Azeza. And when I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, he had 15 million, 15 million followers. I've just checked, he's now got 17.3. So he's put on 2 million followers uh, and his Instagram feed is almost unbearable in its rawness um, and it, its sheer bravery. This is a guy who is just chasing uh, every bomb. He's recorded attacks on his own family. His pictures are astonishingly good, and you sort of think, is he still going to be alive this time next week? He's got that quality of, of the best journalists who are just there to bear witness and to say, look, this has happened. Uh, and in a world in which we increasingly don't trust the news, I think it's just so valuable that he is there doing this incredibly brave work. How about you, well, Beth? I think they're both excellent nominations that you've just given. I've actually sort of picked uh, UK-based um, nominees. One of them is Gabriel Pogren, because I just think, we've we've talked about him, I just think he's been consistently excellent, and actually he did a 
a really interesting article uh, in the Press Gazette after winning Journalist of the Year where he talked a lot about litigation and the way in which you get a story and then what readers often don't understand or viewers and you, you will know all too well as former editors is the battle you then have to get the truth out because of litigation and and he talked a lot about the battles uh, that he had had and, and the importance of editors sticking behind him but I would pick him you know just consistently really good and then also sort of for a real world story which at the time was so arresting I would say the British gas investigation with Paul Morgan Bentley again at the Times the investigations editor that I named earlier and that was all about force fitting of, of prepayment meters and the reason I picked that is that it's one of those just classic undercover endeavors where you do the hard yards and you reveal something that is just wrong and you get it changed and so that they would be my, my two nominations but I, but I think both of yours are absolutely spot on as well well we now move on to villain of the year <laughs> I've got so many friends. oh well, you go first, Beth. Um, give us, give us some well, of your I've villains. Well, I've got various villains. Is it because I'm a cynic? Who knows? Go on, then. go well, on. Well, I've got. If you were Rishi Sunak, I think it would be Swella Braverman for your villain of the year. She was be some people's heroine, though, of course. Michelle Moan. Oh, don't 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 get us going on her. Villain of the year. Liz Truss's honours list, villain of the year, that, that, <laughs> that keeps you know threatening to emerge, but but never quite comes out of the shadow. They're some of mine. They're, they're, you Do you like them all? You couldn't quarrel with any of those. Um, <laughs> Lionel. It's hard to beat Michelle Moan, mm. but I'm going to try. Rudy Giuliani. Oh. I mean, the great mayor of New York yeah. through 9-11, and there he is. He's now facing fines of, you know, a couple of hundred million for libeling those those brave, courageous, independent uh, assessors yeah. of the election in Georgia. And he had to sit in court... Listening to their testimony, he libeled them and he got the verdicts gone against him. He's in desperate straits now, still obviously very close to uh, ex-president Donald Trump. But what a fall, what a villain. Well, I've, I've taken the brief a bit more literally because I've gone for a villain of the year in, 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 a, in the media world. And I'm choosing Paul Marshall, who I think this time last year no one had heard of. And I'm, I'm choosing him because he, he's an immensely rich man who is um, losing an awful lot of money on GB News, which he launched. Uh, he's 50% owner of that, roughly. And I just think, why, if you had all that money, in with the crisis in media that we have nowadays, you've mentioned local um, newspapers, which are really struggling a bit, why would you put the money into a uh, into a broadcast operation that is unenlightening, un, unfactual, um, in some senses untrue. Uh, it's, it's just divisive, polarizing, one-sided news. Why, why is that the best use that such a rich man can think of using his money? And I think we have to single him out because he stands a pretty good chance of ending up owning the Telegraph. I think we have every right to feel completely suspicious. I mean, I, we've, we've discussed on this program the, 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 the baleful prospect of a Middle Eastern state taking over the telegraph. But I'm not sure that we should be uh, celebrating a, a man who's plowed all this money into creating a polarizing, climate change-denying, conspiracy theory-based 
TV station, if that's his idea of the news, then God help us if he gets in charge of the Telegraph. Well, after that, we're now going to move on to something uplifting. Hero or heroine of the year, Beth? <sighs> Mine's not uplifting, but I, I, I'm sorry to say, but I... F- the person that I it's that, not anti-hero of the year. well no but it touches on a lot of what you guys have been talking about in this podcast which is the person that I that's just jumped into my mind when I thought of this category is Wail Al Dadu who is and I hope I pronounced that correctly which is the the journalist in Gaza whose family uh, were killed. And then he went back to work and then his cameraman's just been killed and he was injured in shrapnel. And I just, for me, I just think he's an incredible man. What he's been through is unconscionable and, and, and he gets up every day and he carries on reporting. So he is my hero of the year. I've, I've chosen an old colleague, Merope Mills, who is ah, yes. the editor of Weekend Garden. She produces a fantastic magazine uh, every week. And really tragically, she and her husband, Paul, lost their daughter, Martha, uh, in an accident, um, a biking accident. And through the negligence of the hospital treatment that Martha received, uh, she died. Mm. And um, Merope and Paul have used their horrendous experience, coupled with their media savvy, to launch a campaign called Martha's Law, which is really the right of patients to demand a second opinion if they're not happy with the... And uh, to my mind, it's the most successful campaign I can remember because Merope was on the Today programme one morning and basically by lunchtime, the government had had said they were going to get behind this and the the medical profession. And it's now, I think, being passed into law if it's not law already. And I think it's just a brilliant campaign it's just a brilliant example of how you can take the most the most painful and, and terrible thing that a- any of us could imagine and turn it into a force for good that will I- impact on, on thousands of people in years to come. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant... And, and actually, the, the, the point about that story as well was that as parents, they, they clearly did advocate for their daughter day after day after day and still found themselves in a position where... She wasn't having the adequate care. So by bringing in this law, it makes it easier for other people. I think that's a brilliant nomination. My hero of the year is Evan Gershkowitz, the Mm. Wall Street Journal Mm. Moscow correspondent, Mm. detained on trumped-up charges that he's actually a spy uh, in Russia Mm. in March 2023. Uh, He's been... um, isolated, in prison. There have been some talks between the Americans and Russians. They've used back channels trying to figure out a way of getting him out. Remember, the American basketball star was uh, um, mm. was actually traded the woman, um, similarly detained on trumped-up charges, essentially swapped for a, an arms dealer, Victor Boot. Uh, Gershkovitz is a very fine reporter. He wasn't reporting in Moscow when he was detained I think the journal under its new editor, Emma Tucker, have done a fantastic job in keeping that story in the limelight. They've regularly, they're always doing updates, they're following every lead down and keeping the pressure on. So I feel for Evan's family, um, maybe we can be hopeful of a hostage swap in 2024. 
that's a good note on which to end the coveted Media Confidential Awards. Thank you so much, Beth, for coming in. I'm, I thoroughly I'm, enjoyed I'm that. I'm terribly impressed by all the homework you've well, done. Well, I had for to that. because I was a media, you know, I was briefly the media editor at the Times. I'm a bit rusty on media stories. Well, you need you, to listen you've, to you've your podcast. Well. Not and, and, uh, today. Your, your beastly, <laughs> beastly former editor, uh, I think. Um, <laughs> Whip me into shape yet we'll, again. We'll give you. Um, <laughs> A good mark for today. 9.9 ruled the British judge. I mean, I never got a 9.9 from Lionel Parper, (laughs) ever. Banking it as my Christmas present. This this has been a revelatory (laughs) podcast because we've learned a little about uh, Lionel's. He's he's so so sweet and and schmoozy in... in, uh, on the surface, but it's thank you, Beth, for revealing the true Lionel Barber. That's, uh, uh, I think, our listeners will uh, have learned something. Well, we are in the information oh, business. We yeah. are. Have you got any cultural picks that um, any must-see box series or, or? I mean, I am an expert in boxes, but not that cultural. I uh, I watch television constantly. But it's not very highbrow. Well, I will recommend to it's, you Slow Horses. Oh, I've watched that. Loved it. And the, it's, it's on Series 3. It. It's compelling watching. Lionel? Uh, I'm a retro person. I'm back in Season 3 of The Sopranos, trying to remember the best lines. <laughs> That's not bad. I've actually, the one that I have really enjoyed, which I would recommend for all of you, but it might just be because I'm in television, is The Morning Show on Apple. Have you, what, have you guys watched? The, it's, it's, you know... I haven't, but I will now. And yeah, I should mention that, uh, that Slow Horses is also on, on Apple, Apple TV+. Plus. If you've got any questions for us about the media, email them to Media Confidential, all one word, at Prospect Magazine, also all one word, .co.uk, and we'll answer a few of them in a future episode. Thank you for listening to Media Confidential, brought to you by Prospect Magazine and Fresh Air. The producer is Danny Garlic. Remember to listen and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on Twitter, slash X, too at MediaConfPod. So it just remains for us to wish you a Happy New Year and hope that you'll return for more key episodes and big interviews from Media Confidential in 2024. New episodes every Thursday. And Beth, you're probably going to, you're, you're going to have a quiet year next year? That was a joke. I am going to have an election next year. <laughs> That's what we live for. I'm, you know, fully pumped. After I've had a little rest at Christmas, I will be fully pumped. We'll be tuned in and um, join us next year.